17 tonight, Luke 17, and we're going to begin in verse 11. So you might just maybe ponder, ponder something you might mention you're thankful for as we're going through the service, and you don't have to do that. It's just optional. If nobody does it, that's totally fine. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll continue on as usual, um, but we'll give opportunity for that. But tonight's lesson is going to be themed kind of around that as we're looking at Luke 17, verse 11 through 19, and title of the message is Turning Back with Thanks, Turning Back with Thanks. And uh, I, I love the Thanksgiving season, and I, I certainly think that Thanksgiving is more than a season. It is part of our Christian life throughout the whole year. And uh, one of the great passages, I think, that communicates the need or uh, visualizes even in this account is turning back to the Lord with Thanksgiving is when Jesus heals the ten lepers. And so let's, let's look at this passage of Scripture and pray we'll glean some things and be blessed by it. The Bible says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along, uh, passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I think there's a great picture there for all of us with the one leper who turns back to the Lord with thanksgiving. But it makes us think about what thanksgiving is and why it's important and we think about a couple questions just to open up our, our, our message. What does God owe you? What does God owe you? He doesn't owe you anything, does he? What do you owe God? We owe God everything. And when we think about what God owes us, the answer to that, as we just said, is nothing. And yet, when we look at our world around us, it lives and thinks as if God owes them something. God owes us this, or God owes us that. And then when we uh, do receive what we receive from God, often the world around us just goes on its way without even turning back to God with thanks uh, and gratitude. And so when we look at who God is, we know that He owes nobody anything, right? He is the eternal, self-existent, self-sufficient God. He didn't need us. He didn't need creation. He's completely perfect in and of Himself and His own character and nature. And yet, He still chose to create us for His glory and to give us life, he gives us everything that pertains to living and humanity. And so that presents us with that, uh, that application that we owe him everything. And at the very least, we owe him thanksgiving, don't we? It's a, it's a great thing we owe him. So the great desire and will of God is that his people, and really all people, that they would be thankful to him. They'd be thankful to him. And thankfulness is the, is the expression of, of gratitude to God for all of his provision, all of his blessings, all that he is. Uh, the reality is we, we look at this world around us and we live in a very unthankful world, don't we? Uh, we live in a culture that has really what I want and I want it now and go, the, the world goes on its merry way and uh, and doesn't give any recognition to God. But when it comes down to it, even for the lost world around us, where do they receive everything they have and all that they are? It's from God, right? Um, James 1.17, 
he says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of due to change. And so there's a clear command for us as believers to be thankful, and we see a great demonstration of that. So I want to point out just a, a few things from this text that I would pray encourage us. It's not going to be totally exhaustive of everything we could pull out of it, but just to cause our hearts to think here this, this evening. Notice with me the, the, desire, the desired request from the lepers to begin with. There's a desired request from the lepers as we come through this text. And the request here is very plain, very simple. If you're a leper, what would you want? You would want healing from your leprosy. And, and so that's what we find. Now, Jesus, he had already done multitudes of miracles throughout his ministry. We look at the ministry of Jesus. It's fascinating. It is something that captivates our mind. It ought to calls us to stand in awe of who he is. We find him uh, healing all manner of disease and illness. Matthew 4 and verse 23 tells us that very thing, that is, as he went about proclaiming the gospel throughout Galilee, he also went about healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, you think about how many diseases and how many afflictions there are in humanity and, and even in that day and time. And can you imagine if there was just one man you could go to and he could instantly heal that with just a touch or even the word of his mouth, he could just make it disappear. Well, that man was Jesus in that day and time. We don't have a man that can do that here today, regardless of how many false teachers out there say they can cure you and heal you. Uh, there's a lot of, lot of charlatans and, and people who, who do that for, for gain and, and monetary gain, but there's only one man who could do that, and it was Jesus. And in Jesus' day, we see several lepers in that area. In verse 12, you'll notice he was met by 10 lepers. Now, I think we're probably all pretty familiar with what leprosy was. It was a skin disease, various kinds of skin, skin disease. It was a disease that was very painful, one that caused dis, uh, disfiguration to the body and ultimately led to death. And uh, it was bad in that age, especially before modern medicine. Now, modern medicine can somewhat treat what is called leprosy today, but back then there wasn't such a thing. The only thing that could be done for leprosy was to try and stop its spread as much as possible, and the Bible lays out uh, guidelines for that. And that would, they, the, those who were lepers would have to quarantine themselves from society, from everybody else. They weren't allowed to be near anybody. Uh, and you'll notice that these lepers, notice what they're doing. They're standing at a distance, right? Uh, some would call those leper colonies where lepers would dwell. They would have to stay off by themselves and, and, and have no association with society. Uh, the, the Bible says in Leviticus 13, 47, 46, in the realm of this, this topic, in, in leprosy, uh, the, talking about the leper, says, He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease he is unclean, he shall live alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, I can't imagine a worse thing than just to have to live alone. Imagine not being able to be with your family or with the congregation or the, your loved ones. You can't go do all the regular things that it takes to live. And so that's a sorrowful life of suffering that the leopard has. Le the, the leopard. <laughs> this is going to sound like a toddler, so not leopards. The leper, okay? The leper. Uh, they would want one thing, cleansing. And, and there is a spiritual message in that in the, in the regard that leprosy is a great picture of, of our sin, uh, our sin that we have in our own human nature. We, we can't get rid of it. We can't cleanse it. We can't be cured from it except through Jesus Christ. 
And, and we know that, that only in Christ can we have cleansing uh, through the gospel and what he's done. So like these ten lepers, Jesus is the only one who can bring cleansing to us. But here's where we see their help, their request for help here. We see they wanted healing, but there's a, there's a request for help in verse 13. Notice that as Jesus is coming through this village, they recognize that Jesus is over there. Somehow they recognize it's Jesus, whether they had heard he was coming or saw the entourage with him, his disciples. And here's what they call out. They say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Now, they're calling him master. They're, they're recognizing him as someone who uh, is superior, someone who has a high status. And, and so they see Jesus as the potential solution to their leprosy. Now, no doubt they would have heard about what Jesus had done. What Jesus was doing throughout Israel was not something that was kept quiet and in a corner. In fact, that's one reason Jesus, you ever read through the, through the Gospels and Jesus had done something, and he said, don't tell anybody about it? Well, Jesus had to maintain some level of, of, of order in his ministry. You'll find occasions where they, they wanted to force him to make him their king, and he has to slip away from them, right? Uh, so he was highly demanded throughout his ministry. And, and so there's providence in, in purpose to that, to that very reason why he had that done. But we, we read in Mark one twenty eight early in his ministry, the Bible says that at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the region of Galilee. So this word that Jesus can heal, heal the lame and raise the dead and heal the blind and heal the leper, no doubt got back to them. And so they hear Jesus is coming and they recognize where Jesus is and they're calling out to him to help them and have mercy on them. Well, why are they calling out to them? Well, the religious elite of that day, they couldn't do anything to help them. The doctors... They couldn't do anything to help them. The only way that this leprosy could be healed would have been through God's divine intervention. And I think it's interesting that as you read the scriptures, whenever you see lepers healed, what do you find? You find divine intervention. There was no cure by way of medicine. And, and if for some reason a leper was, was cured, it always comes back to the root of God's power. And so when you come to see Jesus instantly healing lepers of leprosy, that was an instant sign of his divine authority because God is the healer. God is the one who heals and brings restoration to this impossible disease. So when we look at this text, we understand it points to the power and authority of Jesus and what he's going to do for them. Now notice as we come through this text, instead of instantly healing them, which he could have done and he did in other passages, Look at verse 14, and we find what Jesus says. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, he doesn't instantly heal them. He gives them a command instead. And this is all by his own providence. We understand that. He providentially planned to heal them on their journey for a purpose. And that purpose, I think, is intended while we look at the rest of the text to reveal the hearts of these lepers to which you and I, we're reading about it today and getting a lesson from it. It was also a lesson for his disciples there. But you'll notice also Jesus is sending them to the priest to follow the law of Moses regarding the cleansing of a leper. If a leper happened to be cleansed by God's grace, they had to be officially recognized by the priests of that cleansing and gone through this process where they'd be able to enter back into society 
as a normal citizen. If you want details on that, you can go read Leviticus chapter 14. God spells it all out, uh, how that process would work. But even though they're not yet made clean yet, it was soon to happen. Christ is going to meet the need that they have before them because he's the only one that can. And notice as we come on down through this text, we look at what happens in verse 15, or excuse me, verse 14. We see, and as they went, they were cleansed. Now, this brings us to point number two. We're going to see the distinguishing return of the leper. There's just one that's going to take notice of what Jesus does the right way and, and offers thanks. But, you'll, but here's what we point out first. There's nine of them that continued on their way without ever turning back to Jesus to thank him, without ever going back to him and praising him for what he had done for them. You look at what verse 14 says, as they went, they were cleansed. Now, that paused me just to think and kind of imagine that experience for a moment. Imagine you're a leper with an impossible cure in that day. You're following the command of Christ ahead to the priest. You've not been cured yet when he gave the command. You're just on your way walking. And then all of the sudden, not sure how far away they got, but they're on the way. All of the sudden, your skin changes back to normal. You were deteriorating slowly, a painful death. And then as you're walking along, you just instantly, you look, and it's gone. It just disappears. You're healed in a moment. Now, if I was me, I would have been filled with excitement, with relief, with wonder. It was a miracle, right? We can imagine their shock and excitement. But... Notice, notice what happens with these lepers that are cleansed. What did they do? We find that nine of them, they just keep going, right? They just keep going. They're going on their way. Now, we may wonder and speculate, did they ever come to believe on Jesus afterwards? Maybe. Scripture doesn't tell us. Did they have any hint of gratitude? Did they say, thank you, Lord, on the way? We don't know. But we can gather from the contrast of the nine versus the one here in this text, we can kind of hint that they may have not had the thankful hearts they ought to have had because we see the contrast in the one who was thankful. You see, the nine that did not return really are a picture of the many who receive from God much but do not return God to God with the gratitude that he is worthy of. And I believe this is a pervasive sin in our own time. And it has been throughout really all generations. Did you know that unthankfulness is sin? Now, when we think of sin, we tend to think of all the other things, right? Lying, pride, stealing, uh, fornication, whatever you want to think of. But the Bible lists unthankfulness or being ungrateful as sin. Here's a text that sticks out to me and points this out. It's 2 Timothy 3.2. When the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy and he's, he's listing traits of, of, of people that he would deal with, he says in the last days, he said, people will be lovers of self. We know that's a sin, right? Lovers of money. Basically, money rules their heart. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, unholy. I mean, those are all plain, open, sinful things, right? But then he lists and throws in here with those ungrateful ungrateful or unthankful. Now, that's one of those things we probably wouldn't make, think would make that list of sins, but, 
But Paul says that this is a character trait in humanity that would be evident that they would be ungrateful. Now, as we look around at our culture and society, I think we see that very plainly, right? We have a culture that's very ungrateful, unthankful, and it's evidenced around us. Our world is full of unthankful individuals, and many profess to be thankful or grateful, but not to the one true God. I've often, I've often wondered how, how it is that atheists can say, Happy Thanksgiving, and I'm so grateful. Who do they thank? Who are they grateful to? You see it all over, all over social media this time of year. Oh, I'm so thankful for this. Some of the most ungodly people I know that are, that are professing, oh, I'm so thankful for this, so thankful for this. Who are you thankful to? There's a natural flow and logical flow of thanksgiving that there must be one in which you thank. There must be one in which you are grateful unto. And so when we look at this, were it not for God... We, we can't be thankful for anything because everything flows from Him that we receive. The very breath we breathe flows from Him. Paul talked to the godless culture in Athens in Acts 17, 28. He says, in Him we live and move and have our being. You see, every, every day we get up and we breathe God's air, we eat the food God gave us, our, our blood flows and is pumped with the heart that God gave us. Everything about us flows from the Creator, our God. He grants life to His rebellious creation, and the majority of them refuse to thank Him for it. So when we look at the nine lepers, I think we take note of them in this way. Don't be like the nine lepers. <laughs> it's that simple. Don't be like the nine lepers. They reflect the heart of sinful man. But here's, here's where we see the distinguishing return. We see the one leper returned with thanksgiving. The one leper, and, I, and I'm challenged by him. You look at verse 15. It says, then one of them, Scripture points this out for a purpose, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. So all these lepers are on their way. They see they're healed. Oh, wow, let's keep going. This one leper sees he's been healed, and he stops walking. He stops walking. And instead of continuing onward, he turns back and goes the other direction. Goes back the other direction. He recognized that his healing was the work of Christ. It could have only been the work of Christ. Christ wasn't even in his presence. That's another point to the power of Jesus. He didn't have to be there to heal somebody. You remember the ruler who came to Christ and and, uh, and, and he had a sick daughter, and he said, Lord, I know that you're a man of authority. Don't trouble yourself. If you just say the word, my daughter will be healed. What did Jesus say? He said, I've not found so great a faith as this man in Israel. He believed that Jesus, all he had to do was speak from a distance, and his daughter would be healed. And that's exactly what he did. All he did was speak it. And so this, this, this leper recognizes that, that Jesus, even though he's not even there, he's just following Jesus' word to go on towards the temple where the priests are, and he's healed on the way. His whole life was changed in a moment. There's only one person who can change our whole life in a moment, and it's Jesus. And that applies most importantly spiritually. The moment we were converted, our whole life was changed in one moment. The moment we were born again. And the same thing can happen physically if that's his will. But notice what this leads to. This leads him to thanksgiving. And I want you to understand that recognition 
of what God has given is the first step of truly having a thankful heart. And here's what I and all of us are guilty of. We go through our days, and often we fail to recognize how good God has been to us in that day. Life just gets us busy, right? How many times we go through our day and we didn't really thank him for this or thank him for that? He blesses us daily in ways we don't even realize. And when we begin to contemplate how much he's blessed us, that is when our hearts truly are stirred into a thankful, thankful status. So so take some moments maybe to think and ponder on the blessings of God in your life, and chances are as you do that, you're going to find some blessings that go unnoticed by us regularly. We sing that wonderful song, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. It's a wonderful practice. And what should we do when we recognize God's provision and blessings? Well, exactly what this leper did. Notice in our text what he did. He turned back. He turned back. And what's he doing? He's praising God with a loud voice. He can almost just see the scene as he's coming back into the vision of where Jesus is. And he's, and he's just shouting, praising God, glorifying him. He don't care that he's making a scene. He don't care who sees him. He don't care what his past was. He just knows Jesus has changed him. Praising him with a loud voice. And praise to the Lord is always the proper response to God's goodness. Needless to say, this leper, he's unashamed of acknowledging Christ's power that he's brought on his life. We notice that he is truly humbled by this. Notice what it says in this verse. Verse 16, as he comes to where Jesus is, the Bible says he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. That's just the ultimate picture of thankfulness. Falling down at the feet of Jesus, giving him thanks. We can just imagine the deep sense of gratitude that is in his heart for what the Lord has done for him. But beyond the fact that this man was a leper, there's another factor that deepens his gratitude. Notice what it says here. There's a statement at the end of verse 16 that is significant and there for a reason. This leper was what? He is a Samaritan. Why is that significant? Because the Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. They essentially were at, they, they were at enmity with each other. We, we, Jews had disdain for the Samaritans. They looked at them as a lesser people. In their eyes, they were unworthy to even speak to. We get a glimpse of that in John 4, 9, where Jesus intentionally is going to go through Samaria just so he'll meet this Samaritan woman at the well. John 4, 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask of drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jews would purposely try to avoid Samaritans if they had to travel because that's how much they didn't like them. But that wasn't the heart of Jesus, was it? Jesus did not make this distinction between background or heritage or nationality or even their past sins. He went to all people, people of every ethnicity and every background. And here's what he's done for this Samaritan. He gave this Samaritan new life. And it humbled the Samaritan. And that ought to humble each and every one of us. Because you and I, biblically speaking, we were the outcasts too, the Gentiles. And he brought salvation to us. 
You and I were wretched sinners, unworthy of the least of God's mercies, and He has given us an ocean of mercy, too deep for us to even fathom. The Lord's given each of us new life, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's passed away. Behold, all has become new. And in addition to our eternal life, he gives us richly, daily, the blessings that we enjoy. Psalm 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Selah. So we need to not forget as Christians all that the Lord has done for us and all that the Lord is. Because true thankfulness in the heart should stem from knowing the character and nature of God, who He is, who we are, and what He has done on behalf of us. It is Christ who cleansed this leopard, not leopard, leper. Let me get my tongue right, okay? People are going to listen to this on on audio and think I'm a child, which I kind of am sometimes, but I I won't go into that. It was Christ who cleansed this leper. It was Christ who gives salvation. It is Christ who provides daily for us. It's Christ who is this great supplier of all that we have. So that brings us just to this last point of application here. And here's just two points I want us to point out with this. I think that we should faithfully express thanks to God as Christians, as as His people. We ought to faithfully do that. When you take a moment to meditate on the extensive provisions and blessings of God, how could we not give thanks? Your salvation, your family that you have, your church, your home, your clothes on your back, the food you wear, the food you eat, your health, your vehicles, your freedom. We have an inexhaustive list. Psalm 116.12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? God is so good to us. So how can we express thanks to God? Well, we ought to be obedient to him since he is the Lord. We ought ultimately to offer thanks in prayer to him. Look with me at one passage of scripture, last one I'll take you to. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 16 and 18. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16 through 18. Notice that Paul gives these very practical applications to the Thessalonian church and it begins by saying rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Many people think, ask the question, what is God's will for me? Well, there are several things that are very plain in Scripture what God's will is for you. This is one of them. Give thanks to God. And you notice what he says, give thanks to God in how many circumstances? All. Now, it's easy to be thankful in the good circumstances. It's a little more challenging in the difficult circumstances. But regardless of what our circumstances may be, God says, give thanks. Because even in the difficult circumstances, even in those, God has still been good to us beyond what we can even fathom. So we express our thanksgiving faithfully to Him. But we also need to Enjoy the blessings of God that he's given to us. You understand that this leper, he enjoyed this new life that he had been given. We have to enjoy salvation, enjoy God's presence, but also all the daily things he gives us, enjoy them. Everything that God gives us is meant to be used and enjoyed for his glory. So do that. 1 Timothy 6, 17. 
Paul said this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy what he's given us. So we do this for his glory. Don't take for granted the simple things that God has blessed you with. Enjoy them and thank him for them. So turning back with thanks is the chief thing that I see from this text. As Jesus very much points out, he asks that leper, where's the nine at? Is there only one that came back to give praise unto God? I think that's a challenge for us, that we ourselves, we take time to meditate and think on how good God is and take time to give him praise for all that he's done for us in our life.